This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, I'm Rick Egan, SVP of Marketing, U.S. Auto Parts. And what, uh, what I love about what I do is is being a digital marketing professional, I, I get the opportunity to create brand stories, really communicate those out and solve problems for customers in, in a way that's convenient for them and profitable for the company. You know, no matter what kind of company you are, you across various industries, you're gonna run into the same issue. What happens when your industry is on the precipice of transformation? or possible transformation, how do you prepare for that in the way that you face your customers and prepare your business for a change in what you sell and how you sell it? Coming up, we're on location at Commerce Next in New York City with the SVP of marketing for US Auto Parts. And you might be surprised what we can learn from selling auto parts. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hey, Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm here. Uh, I'm Mark Rako, and I'm here with Rob Sanchez. Hey, hey, Rob. Uh, okay, so we're here on location at Commerce Next. So I see two two words in in the name of this conference: commerce, which clearly you do as the SVP of marketing for U.S. Auto Parts, and the second is next, which implies what's next. The you know uh, the the next wave of the digital consumer. Uh, the uh, the, the next way people will sell things, the next products that they're going to be. There's a lot of nexts. So I'd like to lead off with this question, Rick. Uh, what do you think is next? And that can mean anything that you need it to be. I think, you know, the, the biggest thing or probably the thing that's next is how can we get it, get the product in the consumer's hands faster? So customer or, you know, consumers out there enjoy shopping digitally because they can do it in their home. They can do it when it's convenient for them. They're not, they don't have to get in a car and go somewhere. They're not constrained by hours of operation when something's open. They can do it late at night, early in the morning, middle of the day from their car, picking their kids up, waiting for their kids at soccer practice, whatever that may be. But the one barrier to many industry or many verticals within digital is still how quickly you can get the package. And so Amazon started to disrupt this. And, you know, so they've really taken off as they can get things in one to you know, same day, even in, with certain items. But many other industries lag far behind that. So auto parts is an example, um, is one that the, the primary use case for somebody in the auto parts business is something happened to my, my vehicle and I need to get it fixed. And so we've all dealt with that. And... We typically need to get that car back on the road as quick as we can. 
having a delay of anywhere from three to seven days till you get your part, and then you have to install it, yeah. is a big barrier. So, Especially if, if you're using that car directly for business, deliveries, exactly. whatever it is, this, is, this is real money out of your pocket. Yeah, so I think that's, you know, and, and that's auto parts, but it's true, you know, it's fairly agnostic across many, many verticals, sure. and is that that speed to speed that a consumer can get something in their hands when they have a need and they're looking for, you know, somebody to solve their need, then if they can't get it quick enough, then there, there's still that kind of potential or possibility for that disruptive element with that of how we get it in the consumer's hands fast. A quick follow up on that. If if I could, you're, um, I'm curious, why do you think the, did the auto parts industry not see this coming? What I mean is, is they, they must have known the urgency of receiving parts always. <laughs> That's not someone, someone woke up one day and said, hey, you know, I bet we need these fast. Everybody already knew that. How, how, how is it that they're late to the party? Well, I think they've, you know, it, it's an industry that's, it's, it's very old um, in, in many ways. So there's a lot of, you know, old school folks that, you know, still work, work in it. You, you deal with a few different barriers because you have OEM parts that the dealers typically own. So there aren't a lot of, you know, so, so there's, there's barriers with that because GM or Ford aren't necessarily motivated to give their parts to somebody like a U.S. Auto Parts and let us sell them. So then you, you have this bifurcation of you have OEM parts and then you have aftermarket parts. So aftermarket is the area everybody can get into, but then a consumer that's in aftermarket typically is a, kind of an 8- to 16-year-old car, so it's an older vehicle that, yeah. uh, that they have. They're, we, they're typically the ones in need. We were talking a little bit about that split with the older vehicles, sort of that, that cusp where you went from computer, you went from um, something you work on with a wrench and a blowtorch to something that you required a CS degree to understand. And yeah. there's that like that break that happened. I feel like it was in the '90s, but I'm not really a car person, so I may have that wrong. I love driving them. I don't work on them. Um, how did that impact the business when you went from something that was very manual and something you could install on your own to maybe like things that required more expertise? Um, or did it? I think the reality of it is that well, what 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 you have happening right now is there. There's some realities to that, and I think the the true like car enthusiast that does all the work themselves, they've continued to just learn and stamp on the technology and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so that's kind of one customer set. Um, the most uh, the largest set that's really emerging is this uh, customer set called Do It For Me. Yeah. So these are people that you know. So this is a really interesting group because they're going online today. And essentially, to your point, as, as things become more more technical and and harder to harder to understand and harder for the average person to do it, maybe they don't. Maybe they're they're going. That's too hard for me. I can't buy that part and install yeah. it myself. But I really don't want to go to a mechanic, and the mechanic's going to look at my car and say, "Oh, you got to do yeah. A, B, and C. It's yeah. going to cost this much, and I need your car for a week." And yeah. you're like what? Like, am I getting screwed? Am I not? And so that's another interesting part that, you know, I think digital for auto parts is bringing is that it's really, it's leveling the playing field where 
you're starting to put more control back in the consumer's hands and yeah. letting them know that this is something that they can go do is they can actually, they can just price it out and, you know, yeah. call BS on the mechanic or they can actually buy it themselves, bring it in and say, here's the parts, you go put it on my car. Yeah. And what about the rise of the um, digital subscription service mechanics? Like I've, I've started seeing this in a couple places and I'm helping out a startup that's doing that gas delivery plus additional services. Yeah. Um, is that, do you see that as another portal for distribution? Is that fitting into that category of do it for me for you? Or is it yeah. like a different thing? No, it, it definitely is. So, I mean, the, the your mechanics, the wrench, you know, all those yeah. kinds of guys that are uh, really kind of mobile mechanics, so to speak, and going out and doing it. So uh, that's an interesting space. I think it, it brings me back. It's another channel for distribution, which is great. But then it brings me back to the original point of how do you how do you get it to them in a way that they can yeah. actually install and do something. When you look at the totality of the car, not just, you know, headlight, headlight mirrors, you know. Yeah basic things that you can easily touch, take off, put in. If you have to do a transmission, how do you do that right. as a mobile mechanic? Yeah. How do you think about, I feel like a car is a little different than a lot of things that are sold out there because for some people, a car is a thing that they own that accomplishes a task. But there are so many people out there that a car is an extension of themselves. It's a piece of their personality. They have a personal relationship, even a name for their car. Um, they, it, 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 they're attached to it emotionally. Um, how, if at all, do you think about this in the way that you market? Because I imagine that there's a lot of products out there that we don't, you know, we don't necessarily like a pot, pots and pans. We may not have the same emotional relationship with as maybe we have our car. Yeah. Um, how do you? think about that if at all in terms of the way that you market or is that just not coming to play well i think we're we're, we're at a point where we're, we're trying to kind of lean into that and and pivot so to speak there that you know the the auto parts the the direct consumer auto parts business has typically been a very episodic okay. business it's a transactional thing. It's a very transactional, or historically it has been. I think the the points you raise, uh, you know, make sense. And there have been been things I've been been trying to voice within the the walls of U.S. Auto Parts, and I'm sure is happening with other direct consumer online suppliers as well, because there there is the reality that um, you know it's an interesting space because it's, it's probably to me it's most similar to pets. Um, okay, yeah, that makes sense. In that. In that you as a consumer are buying something for someone else. So if you think about your vehicle, your vehicle, as you said, yeah. people name their cars, exactly. do all kinds of things. And they, they look at them as, you know, as people in some ways. And so so they're, they're buying something of need for somebody that they care about, yeah. essentially, which is similar to pets. I remember my mother, every time the car wouldn't, wouldn't quite go, she'd, be, she'd pat the dashboard and say, come on, Bessie, come on, Bessie. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're on a journey with these people through the life of their car or perhaps over the lives of their cars. Um, and, you know, we may not see you every day. We'll see you when you need us. But we're on this journey with you as opposed to, well, someday we'll see you when you stop by and you need us. Uh, we're in the distance, but instead we're along with you the whole time. Yeah. We're a part of that journey. We just are, you know, the uncle you don't see every day, but we're still part of the family. Yeah. I mean, those are the, 
you know, th those are the disruptive ways of thinking kind of within the auto parts world because it, you know, like I said, it's historically a fairly transactional type of business driven by need. Uh, and so to really try to become customer centric and look at, okay, I, if you, you made a purchase once, I know you're, I, I know you have an older vehicle and if we have experience with, with a car that's eight to 16 years old, we know they break down three to five times a year. Now, you know, those three to five, maybe you, you have to take it to a mechanic. It's not something you could do yourself. Uh, you wouldn't be confident in, you can't diagnose it effectively. So having a mobile mechanic come and install doesn't make sense. Yeah. But you're going to, to, the reality is you are going to have three to five episodes a year. And so if you have a connection with the customer, then you become a choice and a resource through that that journey which is a kind of a it's it really is a very disruptive thought in the auto parts industry because it is historically such a transactional type of business is there yeah. a way to go almost like subscription with this where we know your headlights are going to burn out after x number of hours we know your fan belts will be disrupted by this number of miles and so on are you able to kind of get ahead of that with the customer at all I think there are, there are some of those ideas out there, um, so it's something that that we're definitely talking about of creating a subscription type business where you know where, where you you are going to have these needs and would people be willing to pay something? And so we've talked about it in different ways, whether that's a, a restoration hardware type of model where your subscription guarantees you ten percent off, you know, let's say as as something or get you X number of parts or, or things like that. So we've toyed with different things. I think we're a ways off of yeah. testing something yeah. out like that. But I think like with oil changes, if I received the oil, maybe I would do them. Because my car right now, I, I drive <laughs> it like once every two, three months because it's New York. And um, I just in this conversation realized that it's been a year since my last oil change. And my car has been parked for 90% of that year. And my, the only way I know that I'm going to my mechanic is because I have to get the yearly inspection. Yeah. But sometimes I forget about that too. So Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. So that can become like 18 months until my car sees an oil change. But some way of prompting on that might be interesting. Are you building customer profiles around annualized events on, on cars at all? Uh, so we're, we're the... Just in the beginning stages of this, yeah. so putting putting in the the CRM and, and starting to get those learnings. So we have twenty plus years of transactional data. Yeah. So we know what people have bought. Uh, we know their vehicle. We know a bunch of those things. So uh, first step is really, you know, implement a CRM so that we can start to do some of those yeah. things. Um, the data on like servicing your vehicle and things like that, um, you can purchase from third parties. So you yeah. can have that and you can apply that to your, your CRM and then really start to communicate to people in a more personalized way for those kinds of things. Because there's definitely, you know, while it's, you know, historically been a transactional episodic type of business, the way people have looked at it, yeah. it, it doesn't have to be that because there are... There, there's regular maintenance that needs to occur. Yeah. You know, there, there's an emotional con connection that everybody has to their vehicle. You know, the, the yeah. vehicle really, rep, rep, you know, for any of us when we first learned how to drive, you know, that was freedom was we could get behind the car and we could, we could get behind the wheel of the car and we could go. Yeah. And, you know, and that, that is special to people and it means something. So, you know, 
Yeah. Being there for that journey with them, communicating. Yeah. The interesting thing with that for me is that, um, so I think the last time I went into an auto parts store was to buy windshield wipers. And that was a, probably took me an hour longer than it should have because I didn't know the make of my car. I didn't know the model of my car. I couldn't figure out which one I wanted. I have no idea if high performance is good or if the one I have in my hand should be fine. And um, so if, if you have that information about the consumer, like this person typically buys Fords, typically buys a four-door and typically buys whatever and currently has this year in this model of a car, then you can do a lot of um, education for them at yeah. the same time. You know, on that note, I, I realize this may be ahead of the curve for you based on some of the things that you've been saying you're starting to get into now, starting to integrate into the process now. Yeah. Uh, but has there been any thinking about using um, uh, AR as a tool to help people? For I'm thinking, for example, I buy a part uh, that I should be able to install but I need to sort of visualize the way that part is Yeah, the first time I put a headlight in, for instance. Exactly. Um, or um, like even to like overlay over my headlight and I can see instructions displayed on my phone that part one is this, part two is that, for example. Or I can see uh, a, um, a decorative component or an optional item, yeah. how it would look in my car, for example. Um, is that something that has been is on the radar or the roadmap? There's thinking about that. Does that does that even matter for your business? So what what we've been looking at, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll be implementing something around it soon. Is actually 360, mm -hmm. 360 images, uh, and doing that because what what we've found is many of these like. It's a part, but it has a whole bunch of different components to it, even even down to... So the, the most important thing in, in auto parts is, is, is it a quality part and does it fit my vehicle? <laughs> yeah. So vehicle fitment... Not in that order. Yeah. Vehicle fitment is number one. You, you do not want to buy a part, get it to, get it to your home. <laughs> Ain't that the yeah, truth. Go yeah. to put it on, it doesn't fit. That's the worst feeling in the world. So that's the most important thing. And... You know, oftentimes when you're just looking at a flat image, it's hard for the consumer to go, well, does it, does it have the, the holes in the back? Does it have this? Do, is there, are, are the cords included or are there not? I can't quite see it all. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to provide a better experience with that, we think is, you know, definitely customers are out there looking for that and could be a differentiator for us. How, so how, you're doing object 3D... Versus, but, it's not like 360 inside of a car looking at the interior. It's no, 360 it's the part on an itself. object. Okay. How, how much of that is to um, help with customer satisfaction and answer a need? How much it has to do with uh, battling returns and restocking? Uh, it, 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 I mean, it would really be a conversion play. Um, you know, giving the customer more information so they can make an informed decision and be confident about the purchase that Got they it. just made. Great. Uh, before we uh, pause, I'd like to ask you, um, sort of circle back. Let's let's circle back to what might have been part of the beginning of this conversation. And, you know, SVP of marketing for U.S. Auto Parts, can can you just briefly unpack what it is you actually do? We might, well, what I mean is we might see that title and think we understand your job, but within the nature of your company, what does that actually mean? What do you do uh, for the company exactly? And how is U.S. Auto Parts looking at its own marketing, given the nature of what it does. 
so I think for, for my role uh, and what I was really brought in is more of a digital transformation kind of role. Um, U.S. Auto Parts, you know, again, to go back to the episodic transactional approach, you know, very focused on SEO and Google Shopping, driving most of the business that way. Um, not not much, you know, not using, not not really having a retention program, not doing much with email, doing zero with social, doing nothing with online forums or videos or things like that. So I look at my role as really is to, to build out the team and evangelize all those other channels and really evangelize the whole customer journey. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that, that really when... When you have a problem with your vehicle, you typically, you're going to go to YouTube or you're going to go to a car form is where you're going to go. So you're going to research your problem and then you're going to start identifying solutions. Yeah. Maybe that's going to a mechanic. Maybe that's buying parts online because you go, okay, I watched that video and that's something that I think I could do. So I'm, I'm confident with that. Here's why I'm going to buy it. And you start doing some research to figure yeah. things out. Okay, am I, if I comfortable aftermarket, do I want to get OEM? And you go through all these uh, iterative processes that, you know, kind of help get you to the point where you make a decision. And, you know, and we need to be there in all those places. So my role is really to talk about those things and kind of help get them out there and get them to change from the historical way that they've done business. Great. Uh, coming up, you'll hear how a company like U.S. Auto Parts uh, is thinking about trying to stay ahead of the curve of the possible transformation of its own industry as cars change uh, and how that is parallel to what other industries might face as well right after this. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found. Uh, Rick, uh, as you get into more and more of these types of things and try to integrate uh, different uh, digital commerce uh, solutions and and, uh, processes and so forth, uh, what kind of other industries have you been looking at to see what they've been doing successfully, where they may have been doing some of these things a longer period of time? You look at, say, the, the fashion industry or the beauty industry or something like that that's, that's been all over this for a while. Um, who are you looking at that you see as a potential model to reflect into you know, what you need to do? Uh, I mentioned pets, so I, I definitely okay. look at. Um, so I look at a couple. So pets is one. Um, home go- or home improvement okay. is another one. So you know the Home Depots, the Lowe's, liquid lumber da- lumber lumber liquidators, guys like that. Uh, they they're dealing with kind of a DIY type of consumer. Mm-hmm. Some things they do, some things they don't do. You're you're dealing with with real people doing it you're dealing with professionals doing it so I think those are good proxies to look at I think there's there's learnings on the fashion side from the kind of the consumer journey piece and and being there but you know so those are some of the some of the outside the auto parts space that I've been looking at and trying to kind of stitch together that comprehensive full funnel program can you think of something that you've seen out there that someone's doing that, that you, you looked at and you said, that's pretty good 
we need to integrate that. <clears throat> uh, you don't you don't have to name names if, if you don't want. So I think uh, you know Chewy on the the pet pet side. You know they and many people will talk about them, but you know that they do a great job of being customer advocates mm-hmm. and really like you know taking something that's very personal to somebody and getting them to let them know that they care about their experience with them. So I think that's one, it's fairly aspirational at this point to, to get there, but I think that's, that could be transformational in the online auto parts space. Funnily enough, you almost have an identical fit problem to the fashion industry. That kind of popped into my head because they have that same, like how do you model in three dimensions or get people to experience a part where for you it's like fit in the car, for them it's fit on the body, but it's a, a similar issue there. Yeah, I mean it's it it is a similar issue, and you know the the solutions are you know you you, you try to you go off reviews, try to put more content, yeah. you know things like that to to better explain the fit process. Because yeah, it is, it is similar. I I find it most similar to footwear. Yeah, it is really because footwear has some of the some you of got the, the performance nuance and the. Yeah, yeah, and you have, you know, you have heel height, you have different types of materials, you have things like that. And then the, on the supply chain side, it's typically, for, for many manufacturers, it's made in multiple places, multiple countries, and the manufacturing process is always a little different. Mm-hmm. And so you can have one set, you know, like one line of shoes that run half a size small and another half a size big, all with the same, you know, company. So yeah. how do you... How, how does that company say a 10 is a 10 when a 10 right. could be a nine and a half or it could be a 10 and a half. And that's, I think, you know, auto parts has some of that, that if you, you know, one line of trucks is made in Illinois or in Ohio, in Ohio and another yeah. line is made in Mexico, yeah. they're going to be made slightly different. And that difference is going to make then when you go to get the replacement parts, how do they factor those in and how do you find something that's actually going to fit? Interesting. So, Rick, uh, it's no secret that the U.S. auto industry uh, may have some changes ahead for it. Uh, It is possible, especially as we look at uh, mandates that are possible for electric vehicles. Um, You mean what happened in California with the the emissions controls and... That legislation recently, yeah, exactly. If, if, yeah, if nothing else, emission controls at another level. So, how, if at all, do you look? Does your industry and your company look at the fact that with one stroke of legislation, products you sell could be obsolete? Or, yeah. or not in demand, at least anymore, um, or being phased out at a steady rate. And, and then secondly, that there could be an entirely new set, a large set of SKUs that are, that are going to be introduced because of a, a new set of vehicles that are going to be replacing the old ones over time. And you have to integrate this yeah. almost unexpectedly, but still anticipated. Uh, how, how do you... How do you think about that are you thinking about that are you setting things up both i know part of that is process 
but it, but it's got to also be even the way you're thinking about the you know uh, the systems that you set up to market have a certain capacity for so many items and so much to be displayed and so much memory and just so many people to all, you know, what it takes to catalog those things and, yeah. and, and have the data for them. And the fact that that could all just suddenly explode, um, big introduction, but yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're basically looking at how do you f- future proof, proof your business. Yes. Yes. And that's exactly you know, what it is. it's really, and, and yeah, you're, you're dealing with legislation. You're dealing with, you know, with, with things like tariffs right now that, uh, you know, you have trade deals that, you know, impact your business in, in both the short term and the long term. And then you have disruptive things like auto- autonomous vehicles that, that are happening as well. And then you have electric cars also that really start changing the whole landscape. And I, I think, you know, there is it, it's hard to predict the future and, and what's going to happen. So maybe more than ever. In a way, it feels like the the pace of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the, oh, okay. the it feels like the pace of the unexpected or unanticipated is 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 so much quicker now. Uh, it felt like it feels like it used to be able to say, "Ah, eh, we're probably good for a few years about how it will be." You never know, and now it feels like, "Geez, what's on? What's going to happen on Tuesday?" Yeah, I think that's where, you know, in, in future-proofing the business, I think you have to go back to the customer relationship. And if okay. you have a, a good customer relationship, then the the needs will continue to be there. They will just change. So, you know, something like autonomous, autonom- autonomous vehicles that, let's say, you know, in five years, all vehicles were autonomous and none of us ever, ever actually drove anymore. Then the number one thing that would happen would would be accidents probably, you know, rarely or never happen all of a sudden because computers are able to make, you know, smarter decisions that, you know, that we as humans can't. So then that would be an, an entire business around uh, around repairs from collisions that would yeah. go away. And so you'd have to pivot away from that. Now, I think with all things with change, it creates new opportunities. So electric cars don't have the internal combustion engine. But they have different parts, and those those parts will wear out over time. And as those vehicles are on the road longer and longer, there's still going to be the same kinds of things that happen when you're driving around. That there's potholes in the road, and you know you're going to hit them, and it's going to throw off your alignment. Until we have hover cars, hover cars, they'll have our own things. <laughs> but there will be something else. There, yeah. So that's why I go back. If you have the relationship with the customer, yeah, then. That's the best way to future-proof your business. It's always, whatever vertical you're in, it's always mm-hmm. going to change. Taste chains, niche chains, yeah. things like that. But you're always going to have a customer that has a problem that needs yeah. to be solved. And you want to be there as the solutions provider. How are you pulling information from the consumer on that on that point? How are you um, getting that feedback loop going so that you have that more of a conversation and less of just push marketing towards them? Or are you? Uh, it, it's evolving. I mean, we do surveys. We do stuff like that to, to listen to the customer. We have tools to, you know, watch customer journeys on site and stuff like that. So we look at all that. We look at the industry as a whole. What, what are the trends? What's happening? Talking to those people. So mm-hmm. it, it's a lot of different things. I don't know that there's one particular panacea to the whole thing. Yeah. So... 
Do you find that it's important to have a direct one-on-one relationship or are you more like um, interacting with groups with similar behaviors like an aftermarket mods for performance versus aftermarket mods for safety improvement for like a family vehicle and so on? Are those like bucketed consumer types and you're almost working with avatars or is it more like Joe's 2006 Honda um, Accord? Uh, I think today it is more of the one-on-one with mm-hmm. with individual customers as as buyers of the products, one of the you know a, a trend that's out there that that's really cha- probably changing things is fleet fleet owners are a rapidly increasing consumer that's out there yeah. um, for auto parts because the door dashes, the Ubers, the lifts, and things like that. Now people yeah. are buying many vehicles and then they have to service them, and these become businesses for them. Yeah. So. So there's a big rise of those types of consumers. Mm-hmm. The the do it for me consumer is another one that's that's really on the rise and you know is gonna we think is gonna take the, the lion's share of the industry. Mm-hmm. You also have people the the typical DIYer, you know, does a lot of business through AutoZone or Riley, guys like that. Um, those guys sell just a finite set of SKUs. So as you get outside of that, you really have to go um, online to try to find those parts. And so yeah. So a, a consumer typically has, you know, let's say they have one, you know, three places they go to get their parts. So that's what we're looking. How can we cut one of those people out? How can we be, you know, solve more of the problems that consumers have when they have that problem and we're there to solve it for them? You know, there's a number of brands we've talked to over time, Rick, that, um, that view themselves in their relationship with their consumer as, as they are they're part of the consumer's lifestyle. Their, their relationship with the consumer isn't about the doing the transactional business with them and, and, and everything that rotates around that. They're trying to maintain a, a true, uh, quote, friendship or relationship with on an ongoing basis. And then when that consumer needs something, obviously they're going to go to them because they're, they have that, that ongoing relationship. And you, you've mentioned a couple times that the touch point the, the relationship that you have with the consumer is 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 key for you and something that you've been focused on how how are you actually able between those transactions between the time when someone needs to do something with their car or their their vehicle uh maintaining touch points that don't just seem like hey don't forget we have this stuff uh but i care about you here's stuff you need for your life uh, so our first step into our first step into that is creating customer guarantees. So we, we've made a, a number of those, you know, such as we guarantee fitment of the of the part. We've added a, a lifetime or a ten year warranty onto the part as well. So we've done a, a number of those things to really try to tell the consumer that hey we. We understand the things that you care care about most when buying a buying a part, and we're so confident in our ability and our screening process that we're willing to stand behind it and guarantee it. I think about thank you for that. I, th- I think about, for example, the rideshare community. Um, uh, you know that, that growing community and, and your ability to turn to them and have them be thinking of you. That you you understand them. You're there for them. They should be thinking of you. You are you are aligned with them. 
what can you do or how are you thinking about what you can do to to to, to build community with groups like that so that that, that you just are an automatic go to uh, you know if you're a ride if you're a ride share provider US Auto Parts is a very natural place for you to go yeah how do you how do you create that sense of community or belonging does, does that matter uh, I you know I think that's really where your your social media starts to come into play I mean I, I think there's there's two paths one is is becoming a strong participant in the online forums um, that's a place people go and so you have to be a resource you have to give back to the community as a whole um, to, to get to get something back yeah so it, it really starts there and then where we've had a lot of success is on the social side is creating user groups that are really in, in all reality are moderated and run by the customers themselves Great. Anything else in here? All right. Uh, let's just take a very quick moment and talk a little less U.S. Auto Parts and a little bit more Rick. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Rick, uh, you're here at, at Commerce Next right now. Uh, are, do you hail from New York? Are you in New York? Uh, no, I'm from California. Okay. So you must you must do a certain amount of traveling yourself for your job. Uh enough but not that much uh, do you travel a lot from a personal basis you- uh, I've been trying to this year but uh, historically no so um, what excites you when you do go somewhere what what turns you on when you go somewhere what do you need to do in order for that place to excite you uh, I think going to other places probably food food and drink yeah. are yeah. two of the you know, I like trying the restaurants. I like going to the bars where you meet more people in, in a real setting. Uh-huh. And, you know, gives you a good experience of the city where you're at. Are you about finding the finest dining in that city? About the, uh, you know, what, what that, the local fare is? Or is it really about finding that, let's say, that cool dive bar? I love dive bars. So I love finding the cool dive bar. When it when it comes to the food, I think you know I try to have things that are authentic yeah. to where I'm at. I'm gonna take a wild shot. Do you play guitar? No. Oh, I don't know why. You just look like a guy <laughs> who play guitar. I, I would have loved to play guitar, but <laughs> I, I took lessons when I was in seventh grade, I yeah. think, and I just <laughs> it, it never quite clicked. So I still think about it. Like that's like. If I, on the bucket list? If I go off the grid and say, <laughs> I'm going to yep. drive around in a van for six months, then I'm going to get a guitar and I'm going to teach myself how to play. They're, they're, <laughs> good to have a goal. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering where you came from. Like uh, When you're thinking um, about like early childhood and, and education, what's a foundational moment for you where you really realized, this is what I want to do with my life? Like going back to like school or... Somewhere like that. The foundational moment. Yeah. I don't know. I think you probably. So I think where, uh, from the marketing side, where where this all kind of started was um, was I actually I started a business, a weight loss business. Uh, it was kind of a weight loss and fitness center combo. And as a small business owner, you have to wear every hat. And yeah. so, you know, so marketing was one of the hats I had to wear. 
And so I had that for a couple of years, and then I, I shut it down, and I was trying to figure out what was next for me and what I wanted to do. And I looked across all the hats I had to wear from that, that business experience and said, okay, these are the two things I like that I liked the most and I got the most out of, uh, and started pursuing those, and then ended up in marketing from that. Okay. And then that was really at the beginning of digital. So I think when I, when I started my... You know, my, my current career when it comes to digital, digital spend was less than 2% of marketing budgets out there. Um, people didn't really understand it. They still mostly focused on traditional media. Um, there's some people that got it, but most didn't. And, uh, you know, and then I, I saw over that period of time till, you know, where it's at now, where it's over 50%. And, yeah. and it really is becoming the, the dominant source of advertising for brands. And it's the way that brands are really looking to connect with customers and things like that. And, you know, and that's what's really continued to make this a field that I enjoy is, is, is I feel like in a way I get to communicate something to, to a customer and mm -hmm. they have a need and I'm there to solve that need. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's of all the things I could do. That's one that I think is a lot of fun. I was going to ask you for a final thought, but that feels like one to me. So okay. uh, how can people connect with you and the things that you're doing? And I'll clarify. You can, you, you can, if it's useful for you, you can invite people to contact you directly. If you want to send people to LinkedIn, you can. If you just want to send them to some sort of social media or a website, that's fine too. So I'll re-ask the question. Uh, so Rick, how can people connect with you or the things that you're doing? Uh, I think LinkedIn's a, a great source to connect with me on. Uh, easy to look up and just go there, message me. Uh, I'm always happy to have conversations about just about anything. Well, very good. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot for the conversation. It was pretty insightful, uh, not just about the auto parts uh, supply industry, but also just kind of thinking about an industry that may be facing change and is... Uh, is, is starting to jump in the pool a little bit. So yeah. uh, pretty, pretty exciting, and I wish yeah, you... Yeah, there's lots of change there. It's really yeah. still, from a penetration standpoint yeah. online, it's really small. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's less than 10% of yeah. the parts get bought online. So there's some problems to solve out there, but, you know, if you can get the customer centricity part right, yeah. and you can solve for the speed to delivery to people's hands, there's no reason it couldn't triple and be a, a primary source so because you have all kinds of things like you mentioned the, the year make model part part issue yeah um you know there's tools out there where you can just take your vin number you can put it in and it does yeah. all that for you so you know and then it can get you can get the regular maintenance schedule and you can get a lot of those things so there, there's a a lot of really cool opportunities to spread this out yeah connect better with customers and stuff like that I, I, this is where that uh, that moment from the movie Minority Report speaks to me. I'd love to be walking through the mall and someone says, uh, "Hey, hey, Mr. Rako, how's your uh, 1995 Dodge Viper doing?" You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's an old car. About, like, yes, I don't know. My first car was a 1984 diesel Ford Escort. Yeah. Um, was it, it really? Had, yeah. <laughs> it had one mirror. Uh, I ended up bottoming out on the speed bump, puncturing the oil pan, and that was worth more than the entire car. So we just like donated it to a local college and wrote it off. But um, it was fun. Yeah, driving a diesel like small consumer car meant that I woke the entire neighborhood up when I turned it on. But I got like a um, 
a month to a gallon of gas. You know, <laughs> it was great. Yeah, my first was uh, Dodge Capri. Yes. Ooh. Um, and the transmission was shot. So, like, every gear, <laughs> yeah. the manual, like, every gear you had to throw yeah, in. Yeah. And you hear, like, your transmission grinding the whole time. Yep. It had a radio station that I couldn't program because it was still, like, the buttons that you push. Yeah. And I'd shift gears and change radio stations. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. That's I had, awesome. Um, I think my first was a 19, I believe it was a 72 Plymouth Duster. Um, I, I might be wrong about the year, but it was uh, it had a slant six engine. And the engine was so heavy yeah. that it made the back of the car a little light. So pretty much every time I hit the gas, it spun the wheels in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something about the design of that car, just a little yeah. front heavy. Is just I little, love it. Yeah. But, uh, I also, um, my, mine had uh, manual steering. Yeah, so yeah. I was really oh. strong. Yeah, it was I bet awesome. you were. So uh, yeah, everyone, yeah. everyone before the invention of auto steering was stronger than everyone else. Yeah, uh, Rick Egan, the SVP of marketing for U.S. Auto Parts. Thank you so much for joining us at Commerce Next. Really appreciate the conversation, and I wish you the very best with the uh, the challenging but maybe kind of exciting road ahead. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Appreciate the time. All right, this was great. Uh, that's it for this uh, this episode. Really appreciate you joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time. And uh, uh, until next time, uh, for Rob Sanchez. Good night, y'all. I'm Mark Waco. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Retail Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.